theyeshiva.net. Do you want a marriage makeover? Like, let's turn everything upside down and start fresh. We have an amazing show. Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, the legend, is here. He will be answering your questions. Start typing right now. Get your questions in. Now's your chance to have a complete marriage makeover and start again. This is Leah Richheimer for the Ladies Talk Show. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Ladies Talk Show. This is Leah Richheimer. We have an amazing show. This is a marriage makeover. Haven't you always wanted a marriage makeover? Sarit says, can we also have makeup done? Maybe we'll talk about that later. But right now, we have the most amazing legend of a rabbi on the show, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Thank you so much for being the show today. It's an honor and a privilege to have you. So excited to hear what you have to say. But I have to tell you, we are getting flooded with emails and texts and and comments and and, uh, WhatsApps and uh, whatever. Everybody's flooding and they want to know, what exactly is a marriage makeover? Is it even possible? And most importantly, here's the biggest question we got, Rabbi. What, Leah, if I'm going to do a marriage makeover, like where, what about my husband? Like, hello, where's he, what's he going to be doing in terms of getting a marriage makeover? Can you really do it myself? So Rabbi, I'm going to throw the ball. We're going to get right, we go right deep. We dig deep here very fast. We're going to go right. What is a marriage makeover and how can we do it ourselves? Well, I'm afraid that we can't do a marriage makeover ourselves. I think it's a contradiction in terms. A marriage, by definition, (laughs) is two people. As the Torah says in the beginning of Genesis, the first time it says the word not good is lo tov heyos adam levada. It's not good for man to be alone. Es eloi ezer kenegde. God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to create a helper, a soulmate to join Adam. And as the Torah continues, right there in Bereshus, in Genesis, therefore, every man abandons or says goodbye, bids farewell to daddy and mommy, tati and mommy, v'davak b'ishtai, and cleaves to his spouse, v'hoyu l'boserecha, they become one flesh. So a marriage makeover is possible and important, but by definition, we need the goodwill, the humility, the vulnerability of two souls who want to together build a beautiful, harmonious entity. So let's start with what is a marriage makeover? What's your vision of what a marriage makeover is? And I, I actually have some controversial things to say to what you just said, but I'm going to hold off because I don't want you, you know, uh, I don't want to be start off with fireworks or maybe fireworks is good. Um, yeah, fireworks uh, is good. Fire, Leah. Fireworks you is good. You could start off with fireworks. It's, it's okay. Fine. Okay. All right. I live in New York. With your permission. Okay, fine. Um, So my question for you, Rabbi, it's like a woman can put all of her energy into something. The whole thing is it's in a woman's hands. So I hear like the whole thing that we teach at the ladies talk show, our Masora is if a woman become, does the, the job of a woman, she knows how to be a, a, a wife. She under, knows, she learns. What does it mean to respect your husband? Like, oh, when he respects me, I'll respect him. You know, like, but when a woman does, follows our Masura, follows exactly what needs to be done, the, the relationship, it's like if she's a wife, her husband becomes more of a husband. So in a, in a sense, we are doing marriage makeovers every day of the week with a ladies talk show. The, the, and it's the woman. 
It's just the woman, like when the woman shifts who she's being and she becomes, you know, Rav Moshe Cordovero says, when all bracha comes, all bracha comes from Shemayim through the husband to the wife, when the wife becomes a receiver for that bracha, right? The whole marriage shifts and she can have that closeness that she's always wanted. So marriage, so that's my question for you is that, that we are having amazing, like I get emails like every week, two, three, four, 10 emails saying, it changed my life, my whole relationship. And it's just the woman. So the guy doesn't even know what she's doing. In fact, I tell them not to tell what the guys do, what you're doing, because, you know, if, you, if, you, if you, the husband brings you flowers and you say, oh, thank you for the flowers. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, the rabbi told me to send give you flowers. You know, like, thank you. So uh, in fact, the woman secretly behind the scenes is doing all these extraordinary, wonderful things of, that the Torah teaches her to do. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, the husband starts giving her more flowers. The husband starts appreciating her more, loving her more. So, OK, that's that's my question for you. Wait, and I, can I just add to that while Lay is saying that? Sure, is sure. that so many of the times the husband doesn't want to do anything? And if the wife is going to wait for him to do something, then they're not going to have anything happening. Like, it's, she only has her to change. Yes. So if sometimes there is a situation, but I call it a, a, a challenging situation, a difficult situation, when the husband doesn't want to put in any work, when the husband is maybe in a state of denial or uh, cluelessness, or maybe stuck in a quagmire of insecurity or sadness or depression or trauma, as can also happen the other way, of course. And then one comes and says, okay, so am I a victim for eternity? No, you're not a victim for eternity. There's an enormous amount of power and strength and resilience that our mothers and grandmothers knew the secrets of thousands of years, the power that a woman has to be able to arouse, inspire, and really turn her husband into uh, an extraordinary human being, which even in the most powerful and best situations, that's the truth, that greatness in husbands is often to be attributed to to the faith and the love and the warmth inculcated and given to them by their wives. But when we're talking about an ideal situation, it's, it's about the work of two people. And it's about the partnership of two people. It's been become popular in recent years that women say, listen, my husband is not capable of anything. He's not doing anything. So what should I do? Okay, if that's really the situation, fine. Let's try to deal with that in the best way possible and not just surrender to mediocrity and despair and victimhood. But a much more ideal scenario is when we have two people who are communicating. Each one can identify their needs, their pain, their yearnings, what they're looking for in a relationship, what their disappointments are, what their hopes are. And when you get that happening, and very often you have to know how to speak to women, you also have to know how to speak to men. You know, we have our insecurities, <laughs> we have our issues. Of course, every person is individually, but there's also issues that, you know, men, there's a lot of commonalities. So sometimes, you know, when you give up on the man, there's nobody to talk to, the guy is stuck. Sometimes that's true. But sometimes the right person with the right perceptiveness and sensitivity, maybe if the man doesn't feel right away blamed or accused and he feels listened to and empathized with and understood, we can get him talking, we can get him involved in the, 
in the makeover. <laughs> we can get him involved in the in the trans in the in the transformation. By the way, Leah, that's so funny, Rabbi. You know why? Why Jacobson just said the man is stuck, and literally on Instagram, a second before, someone wrote, "What if my husband is stuck?" <laughs> and he just wasn't <laughs> able to do it. He like nailed it. But actually, in that, somebody's asking. They're saying, "What happens? If my husband is." complacent he's very fine with the marriage the way it is we'll just keep going along and i'm feeling that the marriage is not what it should be right so if the husband is feeling very complacent the, the, the but i have a real question about that can a husband really feel complacent if his wife is discontent if if if, if a husband unless he's complete he's living on another planet maybe he is and maybe you know between mars and venus there's some distance but it, the definition of marriage, if I'm feeling, if a husband is feeling that his wife is discontent in the marriage, what do you mean he's complacent? Does that not bother him? Does he not care about the marriage? Did he give up on the marriage? I don't know that he's so complacent. Unless he's a computer program and he's not human. But what do you mean he's complacent? If his heart, if his wife is really frustrated, is that not bothering him? It must affect him as well. So I really have to know much more about such a scenario. So the issue with that, I mean, what what our masseur would say is a woman, it, it could be a failure. And this is no, we don't do blame here. We don't like blame the victim or whatever. We're trying to empower you, give you some tools to actually use. But in that situation, what this woman can do, she's not somehow not nurturing out of him or listening to him or getting him to speak enough to tell him what he needs or something. In other words, a woman has the power. She can just say, well, my husband's just, what does she call it? Stuck. You know, my husband's stuck. And it, with that mindset, then anytime she tries to do something, she just sees him as this big stuck in the middle of the room without any right. you know, ability to go. On the other hand, if she says, okay, what 0.001% can I do to make a difference here? And it's, you know, what is when, when I ask him what's new, you know, what's going on with him? And he says, oh, nothing. I leave it at that. I'm going to sit him down and I'm going to have a conversation at a private secret time, whatever. And I'm going to say, you know, when I asked you what's up, I really want to know what's going on with you. you know, whatever. She guides him to open up to him. Exactly like what you were saying. You were saying that that he feels he's, he's not he's a computer. So she has to work with a computer. She just got a computer. Very annoying. He's a robot. He's not showing his emotions and he's oh, everything's fine. You know, she that means. There's more work for her. It could be more work for her to do, but certainly there's always something a woman can do. But what I want to focus on here. I do. I just, I do, just do have to add something. And that is, that is certainly true. But sometimes it's just, I think, important to say this out of respect for many women. Sometimes a situation is there is trauma or there is personality disorder. Or there's something very deep that sits in a husband or in a wife. And that's creating a real, real paralysis. And sometimes just to say to the woman, you know, be nicer, be warmer, give him more compliments. Yes, a woman complimenting her husband often creates magic. When women uh, um, lift up their husbands, inspire them, compliment them, show them their strength and appreciation... It can accomplish extraordinary things. But sometimes a husband is really suffering inside. He may not even know that he's suffering. That's how much he's suffering. He can't even talk about it. So sometimes women may need tools 
that you cannot expect them to have on their own, number one. And sometimes, number two, they may need, they may have to be outside intervention to help bring this person back from a psychologically comatose state. How does Rabbi, it's fantastic, and because it, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's good for most cases, but there are a lot of cases where it isn't. And, and, and we just have to respect that because women sometimes suffer too much and everyone says, yeah, you know, just be in a better mood. Uh, just create better food for Shabbos. Uh, just don't complain. When you come, it's very nice, all very nice, but sometimes it's a very, very difficult situation and they're always blaming themselves. And I don't have to tell you about the guilt of... Uh, many of our uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters in the Jewish race, as I always say, a Jew doesn't feel, when a Jew doesn't feel guilty, he blames himself or she blames herself. So I just think it's important out of respect to understand that sometimes it is a very difficult situation and it's not just, you know, a simple change of uh, attitude. This is very good. And my question is, the line between where the woman is culpable and responsible and whatever, and the line where she feels a victim to the situation or as outside circumstances, there's nothing she can do, right? So what I find is that most women feel like there's nothing they can do. They've tried everything and it's just him. And they've kind of got that in a box. They've got that firmly ensconced in their head. And it takes enormous amount of effort for me to show them that there's always something you can do. And when they, with an attitude shift like that, when you try something that you even being nicer, giving compliments or whatever, it can break them out. So the question I have for you is the first go-to, like knee-jerk reaction a woman will have, just saying from a woman's standpoint or whatever, what I've heard for the last couple of decades is the first thing is it, they blame it on him and say, I'm, not culpable or I'm not responsible because it's him. So, so even though that, that, so my question to rabbi is how does a woman who is strong woman, a powerful woman, she wants to accomplish, she wants to, she doesn't want just an okay marriage. She wants extraordinary. Did you hear what that woman said? She said, I don't, you know, he's like, okay, we'll just go on our marriage. She wants more. Good on you. You know, it's awesome. Nuclear energy. The nuclear yeah. age. Yeah, nuclear energy. There you go. So she has this strength and this kayach. And, and what I want to do with this marriage makeover is to give her tools to do that. I think most people would rather blame. So anyway. I Yes. So what I would say is, what I would say like this, barring three situations that really need, it's not for today which is if there is a mental illness or there is a serious personality disorder, we all have personality disorders, but I mean a serious personality disorder, or a very serious trauma that sits in a man or a woman, then the rules change. You're dealing with a, with a, with a very serious situation. Uh, some of you have read the book Walking on Eggshells, these types of situations when you're dealing with a mental illness, and you just we have to acknowledge that. And, 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 and realize this, there's help, there's help. But the, vic, the person who's struggling has to take responsibility, complete responsibility for their illness or for their challenge. may not be their fault. The creator has given it to them, but I have to take responsibility. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my husband. There is real, real pain sitting in me. And if I'm ready to acknowledge that and go for help, there can be help. However, there's so many other situations that don't fit into these very, very extreme categories. 
And to just say, you know, it's the men, it's the guys, you know, they're just clueless, you know, they like to hang out with their friends and drink, and then and, 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 and go to the Kiddush or do other stuff. I'm not going to get into details. Every woman quetching about her husband. I, I don't find that to be helpful, at least not in many, many cases. The, there is a mutual dynamic here. There's a dynamic, that which comes from the energy that comes from him and she's experiencing, but there's energy that comes from her and he's experiencing. And it's in that interplay, it's in that interface, in the energy, you know, in the Holy of Holies, there were the two cherubs. There was the male and the female, made of pure gold, and it was over the holy ark. And God says, my presence is going to dwell in the space between them. God dwells, in the space we create for each other. It's not in me and it's not in you. It's in the dynamic, it's in the exchange. It's in what happens in between. Are we ready to look at that? There's something happening in between. Are we looking at each other? The Talmud says that when the two cherubs looked at each other, it meant it was a good relationship. When they turned away, it meant they, emotionally they were drifting away. What are our conversations like? Does he know how to listen to his wife? Does his wife know how to listen to him? Are we talking to each other? Are we communicating to each other? Is there a bond? Is there a sense of trust? And if there is not, how can we heal it? So just to say the guy doesn't care, he's clueless, very, he's stonewalling me, he doesn't talk, he doesn't open up, he doesn't want to go to therapy, he never wants to go out, he just wants to, I don't know, he loves his office, he's, he's always watching uh, clips, at least if they were Rabbi YY's clips, it wouldn't be so bad, but uh, he's watching other clips, uh, whatever it is. I'm getting flagged here. Sorry, hold on. Wait, what, what, Actually, what it's so interesting that we're getting a lot of people are saying on Instagram, um, Rabbi, why is so insightful and on key can't get enough. Love what he's saying because obviously women are very excited that finally somebody <laughs> saying it's oh, all my mother-in-law. Don't tell That's me. Tell my mother-in-law. <laughs> Okay, what, what's the question um, that the king... No, but that's, but that's really somebody saying, somebody's like, oh, let's get somebody, and I wasn't going to do the question right now, but they keep asking is that they said to get a little, like, deep. Um, can we make over someone who is has deep mental issues or is an addict? Heavy. We cannot make over somebody who has deep mental issues and an addict, but the person who has deep mental issues and is an addict, if they can, we can encourage them, we can inspire them, we must not become enablers, we can cheer for them, but it's just like if you go to a game, you know, you could stand on the bleachers and scream and cheer, yeah, yeah, go, 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 go. But ultimately it's the player who has to catch the ball and run and make the touchdown. So it's the person who's struggling with whatever that struggle is to be able to say, this is my thing. I have to take responsibility for it. These are my challenges in life, which are really my opportunities in life, because every challenge really is an opportunity. God what, what, is how the, can you inspire them? How can, how can a woman who's got a, such a husband, you, what, what would... I can inspire them by saying, listen, I believe in you. Your neshama is larger than every challenge you have. Your trauma doesn't define you. You define your trauma if you choose so. You were carved in the divine image. Your soul is a piece of God and it means it's infinite. If it's infinite, it could contain your pain. You are now becoming a victim to your pain. Don't do that. You define your pain. It's painful. 
You want to run away from the world. You want to run away from civilization. You want to go into loneliness. You are suffering. I was talking to somebody yesterday, a friend of mine, a man, a heart of gold. Literally, I tell you, a heart literally sculptured of gold. It's probably some tissues and sinews and cells there. But a lot of challenges in the marriage. But it's not really challenges in the marriage. He suffers from horrible anxiety. His mind races 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Some of you will understand this. Always self-conscious. Always second-guessing himself. What's my place in the world? Did I say the right thing? Do people like me? Do people hate me? What am I doing? What am I not doing? I'm helpless. I'm not helpless. I have a purpose. I'm the greatest guy. I'm the worst guy. Social anxiety off the charts. And so those of us who don't suffer from it don't understand this, but for such a person, even meeting somebody in the street is a psychological burden. Getting a telephone call is an emotional burden. Now, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Thank God, Baruch Hashem. But for people who deal with this, it's just endless anxiety. Always, always feeling the sense of restlessness. What can such a person do? What can a spouse do in such a case? The first thing is, you cannot take responsibility for this person. But I can be here for this person. And I could say, listen, your divine soul is larger than all of your trauma and all of your pain. You can look at it, you can create space for it, and then you can transcend it. But the first thing is, you have to take accountability and not blame your spouse. You cannot blame your wife or your husband. For that trauma, you have to take accountability for it and then get the type of help you need, whatever that type of help is. Lifestyle, vitamins, exercise, therapy, medication, whatever it may be. But you have to take responsibility and I will be here to empower you. I believe in you. I love you. I cherish you. I see your beauty. I see your greatness. And I know that as much as I'm suffering, your neshama is suffering much more. It's in exile, in this trauma, and you don't deserve it. You can emancipate yourself from it, but only if you're ready to call a spade a spade and identify your pain and not blame the world. Wow. The The person is responding, wow, 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 beautiful what you're teaching. So the one, the woman who said she was stuck, did her make sure you, if you have another question about that, make sure, cause that, I want to make sure that that one's good. This is an email that came in from uh, a, a few, as soon as your flyer went out with your thing, we started getting flooded with emails. So um, someone said, you know, marriage makeover. Are you joking? I'm just trying to get through my joke, through my day. And she's right. And only joking, but not really, <laughs> you know? So uh, during COVID and during this crazy time, no, kids are in school, out of school, you know, all work, not work. Is it even possible to do a marriage makeover? And how would you do it in the midst of all this? It's a great, it's, it's a great question. One of the most beautiful teachings of the Balsham based on the Medrash, is that creation happens every single moment. God didn't create the world 5,781 years ago. Creation is new. It's novel. We say in the prayers every morning, Creation is innovative every single moment. What's the point of this? God could have created the world once and let it have, let it move on. Create the laws of nature, you know, like the metaphor of the clockmaker. The answer is God is teaching us that we can tune in to the heartbeat of life and that means the power of now. Every single moment is really new. 
But this is not easy because most of us can't live in newness. I'm always following a script based on the neural pathways that may have been developed 30, 40 years ago. And I'm just a victim to what happened yesterday, to what happened 20 years ago. Comes the Baal Shem Tov and says, no. You can really emancipate yourself from that place and become new. And become new means I'm choosing right now to be a person who was just created right now. Imagine if I'm stripped from all those traumas, from all those fears. Imagine if when I meet you, even though I met you already a thousand times, there's no file that I have on you. Imagine there's no file that I have on me. I have no opinions about me, like a little child, an infant discovering the world. And then the possibilities are endless. Now, it's not easy to live this way because our brain likes to go into the old story. Let's just go back to the old story. So this is a really a daily meditation of saying it's a new day, it's a new moment, there's a new energy. Now, of course, this is not about not being practical and being in denial. There's COVID-19, Kids are on the home and the home. There's financial pressure, emotional pressure, psychological pressure, marital pressure. But this is an element of attitude. You are not a victim of your circumstances. In every situation, our soul can shine in incredible ways. And therefore, I say to you, don't look at it as, oh, me and my husband are suddenly going to become new people in the mess of our life. It doesn't work that way. But you know what? Today is a day. Right now you have to make a choice. Right after this meeting, right after our wonderful session here. You and I have to make choices. You're going to get a text from your husband. You may send a text, a WhatsApp, a call, or unless you're together in the house. How am I going to respond? I can respond from a place of freshness, from a place of possibility, from a place of creativity, and from a place of knowing who I am. I am not a victim of trauma. I am a child of God. I am carved from infinity. I am an ambassador of Hashem in this world, an ambassador of love, light, hope, and hope. My core is invincible. When I can operate from that space, I can create space for my pain. I can cry for my pain. I can weep for my pain, but I will not get stuck in my pain. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's get to practical steps for a marriage makeover. Like what are some, you know, let's give them 10 things that, that would reinvigorate, you know, first is the attitude. Let's number one attitude adjustment or uh, re-putting on your brain and starting new today's a new day or whatever. Number two is. I'm going to give some practical, some practical suggestions. Very practical. I think, I think they're practical. But, you know, I'm a man, so what's practical to me may be uh, impractical for others. But, 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 but I think these are, these are quite practical things. The first thing is, it's important to have conversations. It's COVID now, but you can take a walk every day with your spouse. Maybe not for an hour and a half, but for 25 minutes, take a walk without the phone. Even if you have to have a phone, but the phone can't be used. There's no checking, you know, the status of, of Joe Biden and Donald Trump during this walk. No clips, not even my clips. It's a walk. And it's a walk just of conversations. Not about judging, not about criticizing, just schmoozing, schmoozing. Talk about the weather, talk about nature. I live in New York, so now the leaves are going through the metamorphosis. 
preparing for the winter hibernation. It's one of the advantages of New York over Los Angeles, with all due respect. We get the change of seasons. Some of us soon go into depression mode for six months. We'll come back in spring. And if you're married to such a guy, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have to move to L.A. But um, that's important. Try, even we're both busy and stressed, but try 20 minutes, 25 minutes a day, every other day, a few times a week. Just take a walk. Connect, number one. Number two, it's a mistake many of us make, and that is we have to remember something. And that is, and, and people don't like hearing this, but it's the truth. Marriage is a relationship that is inherently unstable. It's not like we're ex- we often taught you get married and you live happily ever after. No, no, no. The Baal HaTanya writes, Rabbi Zaman of Liadi, he says something unbelievable. He says a man and a woman is water and fire. Water and fire don't naturally coexist in a stable way. The relationship has to be maintained. It has to grow. You have to work on it. If I just let it be and maintain the status quo, we drift away. It falls apart. People say, I'm married. What did, what did Tuvia say in Fiddler on the Roof? 25 years I'm paying your bills. That's not called love. What is love? The relationship between spouses is not that the relationship between siblings. Even if I don't speak to my brother for two months, unfortunately, but if I don't, two months later I come back and we continue the conversation of two months ago and nothing happened. With your spouse, it's not that way. It's a relationship that is essentially so powerful and therefore it's inherently unstable. What do I mean inherently unstable? There's constantly a danger that we're going to drift away. And we both have to actively invest time, energy, space, commitment, show caring and empathy to be able to hold on to that stability. It's literally like fire and water. Don't expect that the marriage just flows on its own and it's beautiful. No. Naturally, most couples will emotionally drift away, even if they're not ready to admit this. We have to constantly reconnect. Every few hours is ideal, but at least every day. But really, every few hours, we have to reconnect. I have to know that you have my back a thousand percent. You have to know that I have your back a thousand percent. It's not important that we agree, but it's important that we trust each other, and that has to be constantly reinforced. I don't understand. I don't understand the fire and water analogy. And also, what's a Costco marriage? So maybe you can explain. Costco? A Costco marriage. You mean that they go to Costco together? I don't know. You said a Costco. That's a Jewish marriage. I don't know that it's a Costco (laughs) marriage. It's Jewish Sunday afternoon. (laughs) Rabbi YY, on on Rabbi YY's um, presentation that Rabbi YY gave, actually in Torah anytime, on the secret to um, uh, the uh, secret to marriage, Rabbi YY said, "Marriage is there's a fire marriage and a water marriage. I like to call it a Costco marriage." Okay, oh, Costco okay. marriage. <laughs> okay, it was, I like it. Was it. Probably from five a few years ago. No, but uh, I don't understand fire and water because fire and water. Rabbi saying that you know fire means one partner is like burning up and the other person's putting the fire out or. So I, I no no fire and water in the sense both beautiful creations but very different properties, and because very different properties, very different types of identities. 
You can't just expect fire and water to live together in peace and harmony without work. In fact, the Talmud says, the brachas, if you dream about a pot, you should anticipate peace, because a pot creates peace between fire and water. You have the water in the pot, and you have the fire under the pot, and together you create that peace. And the, I call the pot a mechitza. That's what a mechitza is. People say, why do we have to have a mechitza in the shul? Who needs walls? Why do we need an iron curtain? Let everybody be together. Often people ask me during my lectures, you know, different communities, secular communities around the world, and I say to them, it's like a pot. <laughs> do you need a pot? If you want the fire and water to get along and to coexist and to benefit each other, you need to have boundaries. Those boundaries are not because we don't care, we don't want to be close, it's because we want to be close. It's because we want to benefit each other rather than destroy each other. If you have fire and water without boundaries, what happens? Either the water gets extinguished by the flame, either the, the water extinguishes the flames, or the flames evaporate and dry up the water, so that one of them is gone. So the proper boundaries creates the respect that allows us to mutually benefit each other. So the idea of fire and water is that very often, a woman's life and soul is very vibrant. It's extremely, extremely vibrant. You know, men are, I don't mean to make generalizations because there are, you know, feminine aspects and masculine souls and masculine aspects and feminine souls. The Kabbalah is filled with that idea and we're all interconnected to each other. But generally speaking, one could say that a woman's brain and a woman's soul is very much alive. Her antennas are very, very sensitive. She detects things in a relationship usually faster than the husband will detect things in a relationship. There's a burning, burning fire over there. Water is a very different nature. Water can also experience a tsunami. So it's, it's not like water is always relaxed. But the point is that in order for the fire and the water to really become one, it's an extraordinary feat. Mathematically, one plus one equals two. Marriage is saying that one plus one should equal three or equal one. How does one plus one equal one? When you bring in the third partner, something that transcends both of us which is called the Divine Presence, that allows us both to come together. But for that to happen, we need avoida. It, need, it needs conscientiousness. It needs vulnerability. It needs humility. The point being is that every gesture in marriage, and maybe this is a little dramatic, but I think it's true, every gesture in marriage, every comment, every response, every text, every WhatsApp, every telephone call, every conversation, even if it's about Cheerios or Costco, about the kids or Chalamaya trips, if it's about Hanukkah candles or it's about leasing a new car, small or big, dramatic or undramatic, any conversation or gesture either brings the couple closer or distances them. You may not see it immediately, but because this is not an inherently stable relationship where it's just you get married and you're one. No. You get married and now you can create the miracle of oneness through continuous, conscientious dedication, commitment, empathy, and caring. And therefore, with every gesture, we either become closer or we become a little more distant. Hopefully, it's not very distant. It's just a little distant. And then we can come back come closer again.
That should be number three, Rabbi. <laughs> That's really, yes. really good. No, I actually, it's so funny. I do have a question, but I have somebody wrote on um, Instagram. I don't want anyone asking any more questions because I'm hanging on every word. Rabbi YY so gifted with his words and insights. And I have Dina, our favorite Dina on Torah Anytime live stream, who we love when you come on Dina from London, um, who actually wrote, um, everyone feels good about themselves after hearing Rabbi Jacobson speak. He's so validating. She said so. And, and she said, it's actually so interesting about the pot. Mechitza, I never realized this, that proper boundaries are so important. Yes, yes. And Yeah, huge. So that's a great one. So somebody's actually um, asking on, on Rabbi's pot, example um what if the husband is the lid to the pot and controls everything i also have another question that came in which says what is the woman the fire and the husband the water or are both both so that those are two questions one about the lid and one about yeah generally speaking both are both both are both there's no question especially certain individuals, you could see it more. But generally speaking, according to Jewish mysticism and books of Machshava, a woman is associated with Aish, with fire, and, and a man with water, even though they're both both. And you see it in the name. Ish, man, is Aleph Yud Shin. So between the Aleph and the Shin, which means fire, there is a separation. Isha is Aleph Shin. And then comes the hay. The Talmud points this out in Tractate Saita. So there is an element of fire, which is why there is a certain warmth and sensitivity and sense of empathy and uh, deep passion that exists within the feminine soul. Again, water can also be quite uh, intense and stormy if you've ever uh, you know, observed a, hur- a, hur- a hurricane. The point, though, is not so much the names, but rather the idea that there is an element of drifting away that is very natural. And we both have to consciously put our souls and our imagination and our hearts and our minds into the relationship to be able to make it what it is capable of becoming. And when a husband and a wife do do this, they create probably one of the most beautiful things that exists on the planet, or maybe the most beautiful thing that exists if planet. a woman does that, if she is doing it, will her husband eventually do it? In other words, you know, to try and get him, sell him. In other words, it's hard enough work for a woman to do what Rabbi's saying, to bring her husband close, but now to also be responsible for motivating him. And I mean, I guess that's the job of a woman, but, you know, to do it in a way that, that he can hear it. And that I, I wouldn't say the woman is responsible for mo- to motivate him. I think every person is responsible for themselves. Ultimately, I'm an adult. I married you as an adult. As an adult, I am responsible for my life and I cannot blame my spouse. The sages say that the beginning of the downfall of Adam, of Adam, it's one of the, it's, it's a very powerful teaching that the real downfall of Adam was not that he ate from the tree of knowledge. It's that afterwards he started to blame her and she blamed the snake and everybody was busy blaming each other. In other words, making mistakes is not the problem. It's the blame game that's the issue. The day I got engaged, my older brother, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, I remember he called me and he said, listen, I'm going to give you advice, why, why? And his advice was, don't be perfect. Because I, he said, I know you, you are going to make so many mistakes. He says, all I ask you is be accountable. Don't be perfect in your relationship, just be accountable. When you make a mistake, don't run away emotionally or physically. Don't run away, remain present.
So I think that's so important. Every one of us has to be accountable for ourselves. The job of the woman is not to take responsibility for the man. And conversely, however, I do think that every person in a relationship is not only in a relationship with the other person. You have to be first and foremost in a relationship with yourself and with God. My identity cannot be completely defined by you. I have to have a relationship with myself and with Hashem and ask, what does Hashem want from me at this moment? When I can do that, then I can often bring the best out in other people. Ultimately, they have to rise to the occasion. But when I live life to the fullest, living true to my soul and my calling at this moment, I can, I can create positive energy that allows you, allows my partner, my friend, my soulmate, my spouse, to also be able to find their light. That's how I would put it. Fantastic. What about the lid? The woman who called in and said her husband's the lid. <laughs> uh, you say that your husband is... <laughs> your. Your husband is also the lid. Then he decides what she's the, the, the water inside that because the lid is closed on top of the pot, the water has nowhere to go. It's just being controlled. And she's literally like becoming, you know, nothing. She's just has all this stuff inside that she boiling has nowhere over, to go. Boiling over. Right, right, right. So, so I, I'm, I'm just going to try to be very, very practical about this. There are people who are very controlling, extremely controlling. And, Sometimes you could live with it, sometimes you can't live with it. Women are smart. <laughs> Women are smart. So you really have to figure things out. Obviously, the ideal option is to get him into a room and have a conversation with him about this. Why are you so controlling? You know, What are you scared of? Are you scared of your own shadow? Do you not trust me? Are you still living in the Holocaust and you're afraid that if you don't control every single moment you basically have a lot of trauma. Are you ready to deal with this? Sometimes a person is ready to deal with it, and that's amazing. Sometimes he's not in that state. Either he's in denial, or he's too messed up to be able to handle it. And then the woman has to ask herself some serious questions. Can I still live a normal life? Can I still celebrate my life? Can I learn to live with this person somehow acknowledging his flaws, but not falling into his traps? Can I still live an enjoyable and meaningful life? Can I see his virtues or not? And the answer to that question, every woman ultimately has to identify and see the pros and the cons and how you can handle it. Sometimes people are so controlling, you're simply choking. There's no space for you to live. And then you really have to explore what your options are. Is he ready for growth? Is he ready to take accountability? Is he ready even incremental growth, but slowly, or he's not? If he's completely not, then you have to ask yourself, the questions, can I deal with it? Do I know how to, sometimes, you know, a smart woman, <laughs> I don't want to use the word manipulate because it's not about manipulation, but sometimes she knows how to present a situation to somebody in a way that ultimately she will not, it will bring out good things in him. But again, it's not her responsibility to, you cannot take responsibility for a control freak and you really have to acknowledge and realize the problem and then ask yourself the real questions, you know, can I handle this? How can I handle this? What will be the best way to live under these circumstances? Do not become a shmata, do not become a doormat and do not become the victim and start blaming yourself when it's really not about you. A woman reached out to me recently her husband was controlling beyond, especially in the bedroom. And she felt guilty. She felt that if she just gives in more and more and more and more and more and more and more, she'll make him happy. And then 
the marriage will be good. But when I started to analyze what he's asking for, he wasn't only asking things that will make him feel good. That's fine. That's a legitimate conversation. He was asking for things that are not for his benefit. It's just simply to control another person. So sometimes, you know, you do it as a game. It's fun. Fine. That's great. But I saw that there's a serious, serious issue here. This is not just about, you know, compromising. We all have to compromise in a marriage. This is about a serious, serious dysfunction. And then I learned about terrible, you know, he, he's been abused terribly, and this is his way of dealing with it. So it's very important not to become a doormat and, and just start blaming yourself. Wow. So in, in a situation where, um, and then I want to get to your, our list of practical things. We're running out of time, and I want to get everyone to walk out of here with having some real practical guidance. But in a situation like that, that seems like it needs a third party, Yeah. That very often, yeah. it's very, very often in a third party, and 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 I want to say something about a third party. You know, sometimes we hear the word rabbi or the word therapist, and we say we're going to go to this person, and whatever he says or she says, we're going to do. Now, I don't know how to say this nicely, but it's just like doctors. Some therapists are excellent, some of them are not very good, <laughs> and some of them are fine. Some rabbis are well trained in this area. They're knowledgeable. They're humble. They know that they don't know. They know how to refer it, and that's wonderful. Sometimes rabbis, are, um, they're amazing people, and they mean well, but sometimes they really don't have an awareness of this particular topic. Let's take the issue of child molestation. For many, many years, rabbis, and I was one of them, people would come to us and tell, them about, tell us about molestation. We didn't realize how serious it was. We didn't realize the consequences. We were not educated. And therefore, we often dismissed it and, or some people still dismiss it simply out of ignorance. So it's very important to be an, what I call an educated consumer. You don't just go to a therapist. Whatever the therapist says, we follow blindly. No, no, no. If the therapist is not getting it, if the therapist is not empathetic, if this therapist is manipulative or this therapist took sides, if this therapist is not very wise or doesn't get it, it's time to move on. You're not a victim of your therapist either. It's very, very important. Unless you know that you have a terrible dysfunction and illness, and if you know that already, you're pretty healthy, and then you know that you cannot be the judge. But very often, if you're sitting by a therapist, and it's not helping, it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and there's no way out, and there's something off here, don't be afraid to say, this is really not working. It's time. You have to get the right person. You have to have the right person, sometimes the wrong people. I'll give you an example the other way. I know a woman, lives here, not far from me, has nine children. The marriage was not good. It was a difficult marriage. She comes to a therapist, a female therapist. The female therapist never met her husband. But the female therapist decided that her husband suffers from narcissistic personality disorder and another bunch of illnesses and encouraged the woman to stand up to him and to uh, not let him get away with anything, which seemed so beautiful and wonderful and you know empowering for a woman and so forth. And then I thought to myself, one second, this therapist never even met the husband. How do you, how do you say this about a man? And what, what happened now? This woman is now with nine children, separated from her husband. The children are very, very difficult. How can, how can a therapist do that without really understanding the dynamics? And what if he could be saved? She's a woman with nine children. She's not a 19-year-old single woman who teaches in Beis Yaakov and Borough Park. She has nine kids, for heaven's sake. 
Maybe divorce is the right thing, but these are things that are life and death. You, you have to realize who, 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 who you're talking to. I know another woman here also went to a therapist. Forgive me, I love, I have, a, I'm a big fan of many therapists, but I also know other stories. And the therapist basically is telling this woman that her husband really doesn't like her. You never met the husband. Why do you say such a thing to a woman? Maybe there's a misunderstanding. That's why I say, don't allow big names or big titles to ruin your life when it's unnecessary. Wow, that's... Forgive me for my uh, bluntness. Maybe I'm being too blunt. No, no, it, we, we, it's true. I, the, the, it, sometimes it, you might have to try one, two, three therapists until you get Don't somebody... Don't worship people. People are not gods. If it's not helping you, it's time to move on. If it's time, it's time to move on. It has to help you. You have to f- see that there's camaraderie, kinship. There's a therapist here, marriage therapy. I'm, I send people to him because I like him very much. And he told me once, he said, the greatest compliment that I get as a therapist is that the husband feels, the husband never feels that I'm taking the wife's side, the wife's side never feels that I'm taking the husband's side. In other words, my job here is not to take sides and to rebuke the guilty party. He's a lowlife, he's a sick, clueless, dead man. It doesn't help a marriage to tell a wife, your husband is the worst creature who ever existed since the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Your job is to listen and understand, to help the marriage. Your job is not to pit one against the other and say, okay, she's wrong, she's a crazy wife. Okay, great, Baruch Hashem, I won the game. Well, this, is not a, a, this is not a competition here, you're trying to bring them together. So you want everybody should feel that their voice is being heard and understood, even if they're wrong, but you want to help them grow and educate them. Fantastic. Okay. Let's yeah. Go. By the way, it's amazing how this, I mean, people are so there's hearts and I mean, people are literally saying this is so valuable and it's so important for people to go with it, to, uh, to understand that going in, because I think today therapy has become just the like, you know, she, Oh yeah. Go to therapy, right. go to therapy, go to therapy. And then it doesn't solve what the person needs worse. And it's amazing. Wow. And someone said, beautifully said, um, but one person is saying, um, which on the Torah Time uh, live stream is saying, ouch, every gesture and conversation either brings closeness or the reverse, such pressure. No. It, I see it the other way around. Such an opportunity. Such an opportunity, not such pressure. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me take it to the cosmic story. Every marriage is a metaphor for the marriage between Hashem and the Jew. What would Torah tell us? Every single moment in the day and the night is a moment, an opportunity to get closer or to get more distant. I don't look at it as pressure. I look at it as if you see the closeness as a curse, (laughs) then yes, I see it as pressure. If you see the closeness as a gift, what if I would tell you everything you eat, and we all know it's true, is an opportunity to get healthier, to get more energy, or to get sicker. It's also pressure. But that's the, that's the beauty of life. That's the story of life. When you're in a marriage, you're not a separate person. We're one. We're one 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Every time I walk into the kitchen and my wife is sitting at the table drinking a coffee or saying to Hillam or listening to uh, your program or talking to her sister 
or whatever it is, studying, reading, doing her thing, and I walk in, it's an opportunity to enhance our relationship. I don't see it as pressure. I see it as a gift. It's a gift of God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, uh, let me give you an example. We live in Muncie. We live in Muncie. We live in Muncie. A lot of nature here. A lot of birds, okay? So I have a lot of birds on my porch. There's a blue bird and a yellow bird. And my wife knows the colors of the birds, right? Just an example. If she tells me, if I'm reading something, you know, I'm busy with my book because I have a class in two hours. She says, wow, why, why? Look at that bird. Look at that bird. What, sh- what should be my response? I don't have time now for the bird. I should, but I don't. I could say, okay, and look back. I just lost an opportunity. I lost an opportunity for connection. It's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. That It's not called marriage abuse. It's fine. But, but it's losing an opportunity. Every gesture is, it's not just, she, she's not only talking about the bird, she's talking about the relationship. She didn't call uh, Hillary Clinton about the red bird or Harris about the red bird. She called me. Why? It's a relationship. I want to share with you my excitement about the bird. This is an opportunity to look up and for 10 seconds to smile and to say something that connects you. This opportunity we have throughout the day constantly on both sides. We are so running out of time. All of my staff is waving at me with questions. In fact, we had so much interaction and so many questions pouring in from all sides. Okay, two two practical things. Two practical things. In a bad marriage, in a bad marriage, I always know what my wife is thinking and I always know what my husband is thinking. In a good marriage... I don't know what my wife is thinking. I don't guess. And my wife doesn't know what I'm thinking. Instead, I ask. And she asks. Learn to be curious. Even though you're married 27 years, or you're married 14 years, you think you know everything about the guy, or you know everything about her. I tell you, in a good marriage, you remain curious. You don't accuse. You don't suspect. You don't right away put her into a box or put him into a box. Ask, ask questions. Have a conversation. A conversation should be like when you were dating. And when you were dating, you were curious. Rule number one. Rule number two, instead of talking about what the other person did and how bad it was, talk about your emotions. Instead of telling my husband or my wife, oh, you're so selfish, you're so rude, you're so clueless. You're so in your own world, you're so obnoxious, you're so insecure, blah, 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 blah. Which you may be right, you may be wrong, it's completely irrelevant. Delete that from the dictionary of your soul. Delete that. The vocabulary has to change. And that is when you said so-and-so to me two hours ago yesterday, I just want to tell you how I felt. How I felt. This is what creates much better relationships. Because instead of pointing fingers and accusing it allows me to address my void and my needs and my yearnings for the past and for the present and for the future. When both parties can do that, it creates much more loving and trusting dynamic between them. 
we had to go to part two. So it's both watch today's part one of Marriage Makeover. And then next week live, we're going to do Marriage Makeover part two with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. It is not to be missed. I'm going to give you one little flavor of what he said. He said, don't be, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be accountable, which means that when you're, if you make, you know, you don't have to like be so stressed out to be perfect. Just when you mess up, just go back and fix it up and say, oh, I didn't mean to say that or whatever it is. You just have to be accountable for what you've done. It was brilliant. That was such a one little smidge of this brilliance that came out of Rabbi's mouth. It was a fantastic show. Don't miss it. This is Leah Richheimer with Ladies Talk Show. We'll see you next time. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.